Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, we proudly bring to you Mormonism Live! Shut up and sit down. Good evening, everyone. How are you doing? And how are you doing, Mr. Real? Mr. Real. How are you doing, Arthur? I'm doing great. We're just playing for time here to see if the um, very famous and very much in demand Maven will be joining us tonight. It looks like she's been trying to join us recently. I know that she had a packed day over at the Mormon Stories studio, or should I say the studio that shall not be named, where she yeah. has responsibilities there. And they've been going over the history of Child sex abuse cover-up in the LDS church. I don't know how they could possibly get done with that in one day. Isn't it? Isn't it strange? It's a strange thing that you and I belonged at one time. Well, you still do. We belong to the living, the true and living church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the the only true and living church upon the earth with that the Lord is well pleased. And it takes hours and, and not collectively. And it takes hours and hours and hours to cover the sexual abuse that has occurred in the LDS church. And that's just the stuff that's leaked out, man. Right. There's, there's hundreds of millions of dollars paid off to people that we've never heard the stories of. And we never will. This is the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really um, short tip and it's getting a lot of traction recently. Yeah. You would think Jesus Christ, uh, his church, his holy church upon the earth wouldn't have a big problem, but outside of maybe the Catholic church, I think the LDS church has paid out more in hush money uh, than any other entity, religious entity on in the United States, anyway. Oh, that's an interesting idea. Yeah, I don't know Boy what you back that up with, but it sounds plausible. Well, I'm telling you, they paid out the. I think the Boy Scouts had to pay out so much money. The Methodist Church had to pay out, and the LDS Church was like in between Methodism and uh, uh, the Scouts themselves with the large payout. It it's. It's crazy that these guys would rather pay out millions of dollars of their money than just change some policies and be healthier. I know. Talk about <laughs> dying on a hill. That other people yeah, are dying I don't get it. With other I thought these money. guys cared about money too. Like money was important. It seems like maybe abuse is more important. It came to me just this morning when I was thinking about this strange discrepancy the LDS church seems to have, which we've talked about before in which this case illustrates that anytime there is a conflict between the church interests as an institution and the interests of the members of the church as people. Anytime there's a conflict there, the church is going to go with the interests of the church every single time. I've yeah. never seen a situation where that was not the case. Yeah. And the yeah, thought that occurred to me earlier this week was the difference between the way the church feels about its members versus the way it feels about its members' money. And I think there's a big difference in the way the church feels about those two issues. And the thought came to me about the story in the New Testament of the widow's mite, which I'm sure you've heard of, the parable of the widow's mite or the story of the widow's mite. It struck me that the church cares a lot more about the widow's mite than it does about the widow. 
Yeah. Um, and the next generation of widow might pairs. It wants to make sure it holds on to those. Oh, absolutely. Those are very, very important. And I think that everything the church does can pretty much be seen through that lens. And it makes more sense that way. I'm not saying it's moral. I'm not sure, saying it's right. I'm not sure it, I'm, it's what Jesus would do. But I think it makes sense that that's what they're doing and why they're doing it. Well, we've got a great guest on for tonight's show. He's and just a sergeant. FYI, I do yes. have the I do have the slideshow on my end, so we're good. Thank you very much, because we do have a number of photographs here from our guest, who is a sergeant in the United States Air Force. The title of tonight's show is LDS Force, mainly because he's in the Air Force, and I thought that was an interesting play on words, especially when we hear from our guest about the stories of the force that the LDS Church put on him as a young man, and even as a not so young man, and the deleterious effects that that had upon our guest's life. I think we're approaching the cusp of a happy ending to this story, but at any rate, are you ready to bring on our guest, Bill, or did you have anything else you wanted to say? No, no, I, I will make a quick mention. We put a bunch of content up on the YouTube channel today, the entire series of the Cognitive, Cognitive Dissidents podcast, but we I've also been doing this cool thing with uh, this book, Obscure Mormon Doctrine, and people are really digging these as well. So, uh, folks, uh, Mormonism Live is the number one show on this channel. Um, but there is tons of great content. Yeah, we should play the applause again. I can, um, I can do the applause quicker than you hit the button. Yeah. But uh, there's lots of good stuff and lots of cool things are happening. And I, I think we're really doing well with Mormonism Live leading the way. So, uh, But anyway, folks, check out the YouTube channel and drop us a donation and help us keep this thing going. Please do if you can. And we're going to bring on an individual tonight who's been through an awful lot. His name is Adam Huzzy, S, excuse me, H-U-Z-Z-E-Y. He is a sergeant with the Air Force. And if we could bring him on, we'll ask him a few questions, give him a chance to tell his story. Good evening, Sergeant Huzzy. How are you doing? Good evening. Uh, it's nice to be here. Thank you for this opportunity. I really appreciate it. Really You're welcome. It. We have the name Adam up there under your name. That is your correct name, but is that okay to call you Adam or would you prefer Sergeant? Or oh no, I prefer Adam. <laughs> I uh, as I tell as I tell all my uh, subordinates and my troops underneath me, you can call me whatever you want, just as long as it's not lazy or sob. <laughs> okay, very good. All your subordinates that you have. How many subordinates <laughs> do you have, Adam? Uh, right now, I probably have probably about two hundred and fifty assigned to me. Wow. And is this in the capacity of your being a teacher for the Air Force? Uh, yes, sir. First off, what is your rank? Uh, technical sergeant. I won't ask for your serial number. I don't know if you can give that to me. Can you give that to me? Uh, no, probably not. Uh, well, I thought that was one of the three things you could give. Thanks to the OPM leak, I probably could give it to you. And the OPM leak, the Russians and the Chinese already have it anyway. So, like, eh, it is what it is. I just, uh, I don't have it memorized. I've only been in for 10 years. Don't, don't get too upset. How long is <laughs> your serial number? Uh, it is uh, nine digits. It's um, it kind of mimics the social security number. Yeah. Um, but it's uh, it's now called DODID number. Okay. How long have you been with the Air Force, and what does you do currently? Uh, Ten years. Last week, uh, I am a linguist with the United States Air Force, and so my primary responsibility is to translate stuff. Um, in the in the Russian language, and right now I teach uh, Russian. So it's uh, as you can imagine with the world situation, uh, it's very important to have 
uh, plenty of soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines who understand the language. Yes, absolutely. Now, are you okay saying where you're stationed? Uh, I, well, so I'd rather not for now. Um, okay. But uh, uh, as I as I get into my story and kind of express my opinions and beliefs, I just want to make it kind of clear that these are my opinions and not the uh, the policies or thoughts or procedures of the United States Air Force that, by any means. I'm just a I'm just one of many cogs in a, in a giant machine. I understand. I'm glad you said that up front. As far as Mr. Real and I, we also do not speak for the policies, procedures of the LDS church. If we did, they wouldn't be covering up child sex abuse. <laughs> that's, that's a very good point. And uh, like the book that uh, Bill was holding up earlier, The Obscure Mormon Doctrine, huh? yesterday that was called The Main Doctrine of the Church. <laughs> this was the dominant narrative right here. Yeah, exactly. This is what Richard Bushman exactly. says is no longer true. <laughs> Which, you know, 20, 30 years ago, it was it was the living, breathing from the pulpit, uh, bearing testimony about doctrine right there. Yeah. The That's why oracle. you have to get rid of past prophets, because they don't they don't say things we like in the modern times. Oh, yes. Well, and, you know, unfortunately, their um, their writings and their musings uh, have a tendency to stick around now and become more available through technology, which is kind of. Uh, a big part of my story, a um, real big part of the uh, my story. Uh, well, if, we're going to start with your story. Okay. If that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. If we already. Yeah, no, let's do it. Um, but, but uh, yours is a traumatic the, story, and unfortunately, the way I view it, it comes under the heading of members who took their religion too seriously. Or I'll just take out the two, and I'll just put they took their religion seriously, and it ended up having bad consequences for them. Exactly. Exactly. So let's go um, back to when you were eight. By the way, how old are yeah. you now? Uh, I'm 37 years old. Okay. So eight is 21, 31 years ago? No, 29 years ago. <laughs> uh, I, I'll take your word for it. I'm not a mathematician. I'm just paid to translate stuff. I think word I just proved I'm word. not a mathematician either. That's why I went into the law because I suck at math. But it's about three <laughs> decades ago. You're eight years old. You're going to get baptized. You understand because you're being told that being baptized means you're going to serve a mission. Yes. You're going to be doing everything the church asks you to do forever throughout the course of your life, whatever it may be. Yes, sir. And you, you're not just doing this to make mom and dad happy, although I'm sure that's one of the reasons. But you take this commitment very seriously as a young man. Is that right? Uh, deadly seriously. Deadly seriously. Mm. Um, I did not. Uh, uh, I have a. So uh, it, when I was 35 years old, I was diagnosed with uh scrupulosity in 2020. Um, so that will help contextualize my story. Um, however, the um, mental health diagnoses of scrupulosity um, doesn't uh, really come into acceptance and to play until uh, about when I'm in my 30s. So, you know, it, it, it's nice having a name for something that's always existed. But just because we now have a name for it doesn't mean that it didn't exist in the past. We just have a name for it now, something that we can define it by. Um, okay, but, so you're eight years old, and I understand that part yeah. of this show is going to be looking back on your life with what you know now, and the other yes. part is going to be reliving your life or telling that story without knowing what it was because you're yes. in the dark a bit as you're going through it, but you're not as much anymore. 
but it sounds like an eight-year-old who really wants to take his baptismal covenant seriously and be obedient to God and make God proud of him and do what is right is something that should be encouraged. What could possibly be wrong with that? Exactly. Uh, if I could get the first slide put up, it's uh, the family photo. Um, this will help contextualize um, what we're talking about. So this is my family. Um, my brother and I, we look pretty similar. We look like just like dad. Um, mom and sister there. Uh, I love my family. Uh, they're the reason why um, I'm, I'm here today. Uh, they're the sole reason why I get up in the morning. I'm so grateful for um, everything that they've done for me. And when I was eight years old, um, having the mindset that I have, um, having been diagnosed with scrupulosity, and now understanding that, I can look back at my life and understand what's happened to me at almost every different stage that's defined by um, pretty serious events in my life. Uh, so if we could go to uh, picture number one. By the way, I'm guessing that's your mom, dad, brother, and sister in that picture on the couch. Yes, yes exactly. Uh, so that's my older brother, Ben, uh, my dad, Kent, my mom, Annette, and my sister, Sarah. Um, we uh, all are about two, two to three years apart from each other. Um, I'm best friends with my brother now. Um, my sister and I have always been close, though. We were probably really too close in age. So when we were teenagers, we were always fighting and whatnot. But now, like, we're as thick as thieves. We're very close to each other. Great. Well, I hope some of them are watching you right now. Uh, well, they uh, they might be. Uh, I'm, I'm still uh, building up the courage to send it to them and to share it with them. But I think uh, I think they would be proud of me nonetheless. I really do. Well, let's go back to when you're eight and 10. You're still yes. very young. You're still wanting to do everything that you're supposed to do, but you run into some roadblocks early on. Yes, sir. All right. So when I, um, about eight years old, so I get baptized when I'm eight years old. Um, and at this point, I'm taking things very seriously. Um, I don't know how to um, dissociate uh, from what I'm told is true and what is factual um, and what is experiential at this age. So I'm, I'm very much taking the covenants of baptism uh, seriously. And so by the, by the night that I'm baptized, I'm already starting to worry about committing sin. Now, and, and that's because you were told probably like most young children are as part of preparation for baptism that, you know, up until you're eight, you know, this is all on Jesus. But after you get baptized, now it's on you, kid. Yes, it's on you. And you've got to be re, uh, you've got to repent. And the problem that I've always struggled with from that age is understanding when my repentance was good enough, how I can tell that it was accepted, because you get these good feelings, right? You be like, oh, OK, I prayed. And so I get the elevation of motion and I think, OK, well, I've been forgiven but then you make the same mistake again. And then you realize, oh wait, so is it going to be twice as hard to repent this time? Or does God doubt my sincerity? Um, so I'm starting to view these types of scenarios already at the age of, uh, at the age of eight. If we could go to picture number three. Uh, so that's my mom and I at Disney World having a great time. Um, 
absolutely lovely woman. Uh, if anybody in the audience knows my parents, they can they can definitely attest that uh, great great family. Uh, next photo, please. Uh, yeah, so this is me. I'm about ten, uh, about ten to twelve years old. Um, I'm in middle school uh, in this picture, and the reason why I picked this picture is because um, this was uh, a defining moment for me. Yeah, and it's a super defining moment for me. Uh, we lived in Iowa at the time, and we had just moved into the area. Um, and I had started in a new middle school. Very impressionable kid. Wanted to make um, a good impression. And I've always been a pretty, um, uh, I guess you could say, like uh, if you could assign a gender to characteristics like effeminate or like easygoing. I didn't like sports. I didn't like being aggressive. I didn't like fighting. Um, and in the '90s, uh, you know, culture was a little bit different, and uh, so people were teasing me and saying that I was I was gay. Of course, there's nothing wrong with being gay. It's absolutely normal. Um, but as a as a well, LDS, not if you're a Mormon boy who takes it seriously, right? Adam? Yes, exactly, exactly. Not if you're LDS boy who takes it seriously, as a ten year old as a 11, 12 year old, especially. So I've made these covenants and I know that the objective of life is to get married in the temple, is to have a family and to not mess that up so I can have my family for eternity. Don't be the, don't be, uh, the loose knot in the rope. Don't be the broken link in the chain. Don't mess that up because if you break the chain, then everybody underneath you like your children are going to be disconnected from your parents and your siblings so everything is riding on you everything you is a lot of you. thought hadn't you oh yeah i i was exceptionally um acute to uh religion and spirituality from the get-go um so as this 10 year old i was being teased uh in middle school about um, being gay. And so to prove that I wasn't gay, um, I was talking to one of my friends and he said, Hey, I got a, I got an idea. Why don't you come spend the night at my house? And I've got, my dad's got some magazines. We can look at these magazines. And if you get a reaction, AKA, if you have an erection, then to, to the pictures of women in a hustler magazine or a playboy magazine, then, uh, you know, then you're obviously not gay and 12 year old logic, this makes per or 10 year old logic. This makes perfect sense. Well, All right. Yeah. year old logic. It makes sense to me too. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, uh, before I go any further, I'm going to throw out a few trigger warnings. What a good friend is all I can say. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so there's going to be some discussion about, um, eventually about sexual assault um, and self-harm uh, in, in my story. Um, so if that kind of stuff is uh, too heavy for you or triggering, please please know that it will come up in my story. But uh, so I, I go over to my friend's house um, to spend the night and he pulls and do the experiment. That. Yeah, and do the experiment. Don't forget the experiment. Yes, uh, and, I, and I pass the experiment. Uh, so I, I proved to myself and my friend that I, I, I wasn't gay. I'm going to resist uh, the temptation of asking for details. Uh, yeah. So um, needless to say, you know, 
when in uh just yeah no details aren't necessary i proved that the experiment worked <laughs> okay so and, you're not gay the good news is you're not yeah, gay yeah mission success mission successful right? and i mean that within a mormon paradigm i think everybody understands what i mean yes. when i say the good news is you're not gay yes same here I, strictly through the lens of lds philosophy in the in, in the 90s which was you know again defined by the brethren as being a sin, an abnormality. And so I, you know, you were born that way as like a punishment kind of thing um, for behavior in the pre-existence. Same thing with, you know, dark skin or um, deformities, how those teach those uh, birth effects and stuff like that were originally defined by the church as being punishments for decisions made in the pre-existence now and then they they switch to become like oh well you know you are an exceptional spirit that's why you were born with mental retardation and things like that um so they changed the definition in the field goal at the entire time uh so in the 90s in my paradigm i'm thinking okay man okay so i proved that i'm not gay but i created a problem for myself what's the problem that you created uh, the problem for my, that I created for myself is now I, I, I've seen pornography, I've, um, uh, I've masturbated, and uh, both of which are a sin. Both of which are a sin, and you hear about it in priesthood meeting, especially back then. Every priesthood meeting, every general conference, the, the, the speech, the, the talks to the youth um, terrified me going to general conference as a young man because all they ever talked about was how dirty and how worthless we were. They'd be like, oh, you're so chosen. You're so Alexa. Don't mess it up. And the whole time I'm thinking, I already did. I already messed it up. And because I opened that door, you know, we didn't have the internet at the time. So like the Sears catalog with you know, the bra ads and stuff like that. I would, I would look at that and I hid one in my room and I was like, gosh, dang, this is like, th I'm, I'm terrible. Language. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. I am, I'm completely cut off from God. And then I would, I would try to repent. I would pray. I remember as a teenager, um, spending hours on my bedside at night begging God to forgive me and hoping that he would um, and waiting for that, that conviction, that feeling from the Holy ghost that I had been forgiven. And sometimes, sometimes I would feel like I had been, um, but then I would also feel that feeling uh, when I was at church on Sunday, singing the hymns. And then I also realized that I also recognized, I felt that same feeling anytime I was around my family. And then I realized I also felt that same feeling, you know, like when I go to a great movie or to Disney World. And so I kept thinking, well, how is it? So this feeling that I'm having of closeness to my family or excitement at Disney World, it, it, it must not be, uh, it must not be the Holy Ghost. So I must not have been forgiven.
And it must not be the Holy Ghost because the Holy Ghost would not be with you while you're doing the things you're doing? Exactly. Exactly. Every time I fall off the horse, I become further withdrawn from God. Um, I have very, very few memories of my teenage years. Very few memories of my teenage years. Uh, pictures are the only things that I have that help me remember my teenage years because I remember how obsessed I was with getting right with God and, 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 and hiding the knowledge that I was doing these things from my family because I did not want to disappoint them. Right. Because when I didn't want the to story, be Oh, I'm sorry. Excuse me. Oh. When you're telling, when you're telling me the story, by the way, can we uh, get rid of this? picture here for a few minutes and we'll talk a little yeah. bit more thank you very much i think maven did that or bill i'm not sure but whoever did that thank you adam when we were talking about this story i was saying you know it seems like you you think you're gay you're worried you're gay because that is anathema in the mormon church yeah and then your friend does you a solid who figures out an experiment proves to you that you're not gay you're actually normal and i'm putting that within the air quotes Mm -hmm. the church approved air quotes of being normal. And now you're fine, except that now you're in trouble because you're normal. Yes, exactly. You're attracted to women at an age appropriate time. I would think at least if you're going to compare it to me or uh, other guys I know, but you know, there's a natural interest in the female shape for people who are uh, attracted to women and you have that, but now that becomes its own problem for you. Yes, exactly. Uh, and the point that that becomes a problem is because at this point, uh, and my, at my age, I was, I had been reading, uh, the Bible, reading the book of Mormon. And I specifically remember, um, reading, uh, the sermon on the Mount and where it talks about, um, the Lord, I, I'm going to kind of, uh, paraphrase. Is this looking after a woman to lust yes. after in your heart? Looking after a woman is the lusting Jimmy after your passage. heart. Yes. And, and the same, it's the same as committing adultery. Yep, it's exactly. the same as committing adultery. And so here's me, this hormonal teenager. And I'm, I'm just filthy and depraved because even at church, even at church, I'm sitting there and I'm like, Oh, she's cute. Oh, she's good looking. You know, sister so-and-so boy. Yeah. I'm really attracted to her. You know, and and so I sit there and I'm thinking, stop it, stop it. You are so sinful. You are so awful. And the only messages, the only messages that we're ever hearing is that, oh, Christ forgives you. Absolutely. But you have to do your part. And I, and I, and I keep thinking everybody else. Everybody else is having this spiritual experience that confirms to them beyond a shadow of a doubt because they say it. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is the truest church, the living and true church on the earth. You know, everyone says it, and that's fine. That's fine. But at the end of the day, you do not know. You believe. You have a severe, you have a sincere conviction. That's fine. That's fine. You can say that, but to say that, you know, in the mind of me, a 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 year old impressionable kid, I thought 
that that meant they actually knew, actually knew, like beyond a shadow of a doubt. And so when I hear these people who call themselves special witnesses, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, they've seen Jesus. Jesus has told them these things. I know I am a son of perdition. I was obsessed with trying to figure out what the qualifications were for becoming a son of perdition. Uh, because I wanted to know where I was on that threshold. Um, there were so many times. I'm gonna fast. I'm gonna go into my story where about when I was about 16 years old, mm -hmm. and I was a priest. And the uh, uh, sad this 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 moment was. Uh, it could have been a make or break point for me because um, uh, so I would go. I would go months. Uh, where I was, I was back on the horse, having repented. I, I would stop masturbation. I wouldn't look at, you know, the Sears catalog or anything like that. And then we finally had access to the internet when I was a teenager, and about 16 years old, um, just got into uh, the the priest quorum. And one day, uh, I decided I was going to look at just a few pictures on the internet, and I got I got a little brazen. Um, and I went to, I went to print one out and, you know, as an old inkjet printer, old inkjet printer. So it's just taking its time printing. <laughs> was it like, in color? Oh, yeah. And our, and our, and our computer was in the family room, you know, oh, like man, this is dicey. Yeah. So I'm like, no one's around. I could just <laughs> you know, shrink the picture a little bit, pop it out, go stick it under the pillow. I'm good to go. And so the printer, the, the, the sheets coming off the printer and I hear someone coming down the stairs. So I'm like, oh shit. So, you know, grab the paper, crumple it up, and uh, I throw it away in the trash can underneath a whole bunch of other stuff. I cold restart the computer. And I'm like, ha, got away with it. But I'm feeling like super guilty about like having done that, right? Um, and, but I was like, that's okay because I haven't upset my family, I haven't upset my parents. Uh, so I, so I go about my normal teenage life. I don't know what I was doing. I was probably playing age of empires on, or, uh, playing Nintendo 64. And my, my dad fires up the computer and that stupid printer, um, in the cache memory, it had kept the image file. So it starts printing out this picture and my dad's sitting there on the computer and he pulls it off. And so he's like, Oh, Look at this. And so I remember going into his, his bedroom with him and he was like, hey, uh, he was he was actually, um, this is actually right before he became my bishop. Um, so uh, uh, he calls me into, uh, he asked me to come with him to, to, to his room. And I was like, all right, we're gonna have a serious talk. And um, he, so he was like, you know, is this yours? And it's like, yeah. I, you know, I got, I got an issue and, and he was like, yeah, it's okay. Um, you know, do you want to, do you want to talk to the Bishop about it? And I said, yeah, you know, that's a great idea. You know, now, wait a second here. by the way, this is when you're 16, right, Adam? Yeah. Uh-huh. Can you just briefly cover why it is that you have not talked to the Bishop about it before? Because I'm sure that if you're 16 and growing up in the church, you've had more than one opportunity. Oh yeah. Uh, so if you go and you tell the Bishop, that you're doing this stuff like there goes your sacrament 
there goes um you know if you're in the teacher's quorum all the girls are going to be like oh look at him he didn't take sacrament he's not passing the sacrament so you can't um it, it's super visible to everybody else and i'm thinking the whole time you know no one else has got this problem except me because you know again everybody at church is being perfect i don't see them in their daily lives so I'm thinking I'm the only person that has these struggles. Right. So by the way, has it ever occurred to you that your dad, when he saw what printed off of the printer, might have been extremely relieved that it wasn't his? <laughs> well, so, you know, I probably knowing how much of a nerd that I am uh, and how geeky of a kid I was, he was probably like, out of boy, you know, he is interested <laughs> in the girls. His dad was you know? too. <laughs> yeah, like he is interested in the girls. This isn't How a can homosexual thing. members of the church, first, I want to change the question. There are no homosexual members of the church. <laughs> yeah, so apparently. The reason I love that quote is not only because Elder Bednar doesn't know what a homosexual member of the church is, he also doesn't know what a question is. <laughs> right. Let me change that question. Let me change the question into a emphatic statement he <laughs> <laughs> did a good job of changing that question i'll tell you yeah. so you're oh, to the yeah. point now you got caught yeah but it could be worse you can yeah. deal with this as long as you minimize it only to the point where you're only guilty of what you got caught doing yes exactly so one By the way, this is the this is the entire philosophy between behind the church's gospel topic essays you admit to what you got caught doing and no more yes exactly so go exactly. ahead. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, I get caught. So I'm like one time deal. I'll go in to the bishop and I'll tell him, and you know I'll say, you know, yeah, I was looking at it. You know, I'm sorry. And so the bishop, I go in with the bishop, and he's a really nice guy, family friend. And I sit down with him and counsel with him, and he was like, okay, so here's what I'm gonna have you do, um, since this was a one-off experience. Pardon the pun. Yeah, it wasn't a one-off experience. Um, but he, he gives me a book, The Miracle of Forgiveness. Yes, this is going to take care of everything. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And so... So you're get, 16. It's now 1997? Uh, uh, no, no, no. It's probably about two, uh, 2001. Okay, so yeah. The Miracle of Forgiveness still in circulation, still being used by bishops then, probably even today. Yeah. Because it's such a famous book, and it was around a long time. And this is supposed to cure what ills you when you've got problems of this nature. Yeah. Did yeah. you read it? Oh, yeah. I read How'd it multiple it times. I read it. I read it probably over the course of between the ages of 16 and 18. I probably read it seven or eight times. Holy um, cow. It, it became part of my penance. Um, to read that book. Um, and there were parts of that book where, you know, of course, where Spencer W. Kimball says that masturbation leads to homosexuality. And so I'm like, uh, shoot. Like, so here I am again dealing with this. I'm getting teased with it at school. Um, and, uh, you know, it's always kind of been in the back of my mind, uh, kind of a curiosity um then uh, i'll backtrack from the this story i got kind of carried away with the 
um, where I was with the, the the pornography and kind of go back a little bit um, to when I was 14. Right. Um, because this will explain a little bit more of the bullying and homosexuality aspect. So this is right um, at the end of uh, about eighth grade. Gym class? Yes, gym class. Right. Um, so here's a, here's a trigger for sexual assault um, for anybody who needs to, you know, take a five minute break or, uh, or whatever. Um, so there's a bunch of uh, dudes in my gym class uh high school gym class and we have a locker room so you know you go run a mile um go do some sports and then after the sports you go to the gym locker room and change your clothes uh to go get ready for class again and uh so these dudes have been um making fun of me uh you know every member of missionary i've always been really aggressive on telling people about the church and trying to be really kind, really friendly, um, which, uh, you know, in the early 2000s, late 90s, that that's um, considered being gay um, and or at least in the community that I was living in. Uh, so they were teasing me uh, again about being gay. And uh, so one day um, they were teasing me pretty hard uh, going back into the locker room. We had just ran, and so I was pretty, um, I was pretty sweaty. Everybody was pretty sweaty, and I uh, wasn't thinking straight. And uh, this dude, uh, he he comes around from behind me, and starts calling me the f word, and accusing me of being gay. And so I I, I turned around, and I had had it, and um, I just. I, I cock one up and, you know, I'm not, I'm not the biggest guy in the world. So I, I hit him with everything I got, um, which, which push, pushes him back into uh, the lockers and him and his buddies, um, it was game on for them. And so uh, his buddies, he was like, I'm going to teach, I'm going to teach you a lesson F word. Um, and so his buddies, they hold me down on the ground Um and it's kind of ironic now that I think back about it and uh, from today and thinking about it. Um, but he, 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 uh, he undresses his pants, he takes his pants off. And, um, so he starts like doing the thing and he, he rubs one off into his hand. And so he's got all of that ejaculate in his hand. Um, and then he gets down over me and he slaps me across the face a couple times. And he's like, how do you like that? how do you like that? And I was like, I, I was, I was super traumatized. I was like, no, this, this, this ain't going to happen. Um, so I sat there and I took it. Um, they kicked me a couple times. Um, then the, the, the passing period, uh, bell rang. And so everybody cleared out. And I, I remember going to the sink and I remember washing my face off in the sink. And I remember, I remember looking at myself in the mirror, and 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 saying and saying to myself in my mind, "This is this is what you get. This is what you deserve. Uh, because you're dirty. You're separate from God. You're enigma." Uh, and 
this 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 started uh, a cycle and series of uh, self abuse. And so you know, you you take that to getting the copy of the Miracle of Forgiveness, where it's talking about masturbation, it's talking about pornography, it's talking about um, lustful ideals uh, ideas, and I'm like, frick. I can't even keep a clean mind at church. I'm so screwed. I'm so screwed. I ruined. I ruined my family. All this is. All this is on me. And so, it, I doubled down. I doubled down. I said, "I'm. I'm going to kick this shit. No pornography. No masturbation. Not going to. Not going to have lustful thoughts." Um because I'm going to find out that this is true. I'm going to find out that God loves me and that I've repented. I just need to do the work. Um, I've always been a fan of history uh, and studying world religions. Uh, I had friends who were Muslim when I was in middle school, and I was fascinated by their religion, fascinated by their practice. Um, and I remember as a teenager um being exposed in history class to uh the spanish inquisition and the the plague and how there was a group called the flagellants and the flagellants what they would do is they would go around in medieval europe in the cities and they would beat themselves with wooden boards naked marching in parades through the cities um in order to appease the lord and stave off the plague well they were actually probably in reality a they were a vector for the plague because they were moving through all of europe um doing these processions but i learned something from the flagellants if i could physically teach myself a lesson for what i was spiritually doing if I could associate physical pain with spiritual pain, then I could kick this, this stuff, the, these habits, and then I could be pure, I could be true, I could be honest. Um, so what I started doing is I would put tacks um, in my shoes on the days that I had dirty thoughts uh, while I was at church. And I, put, I put my stop my heel down. Uh, into that tack when I had a dirty thought. Um, and what, what is the significance of the dirty sock? Is that it's going to have to go into the laundry, so it doesn't make any difference if it gets blood on it? Yeah. Uh, no. So uh, not a dirty, um, not a dirty sock, a dirty thought. Um, oh. So, okay. Yeah, the socks never really became a, um, too much of an issue for me. Uh, so where I would do it is I would do it right on the edge of my heel, so I would just feel it when I kick my shoe back um not a lot of blood comes out of the heel so it was pretty it was pretty clean but it taught myself the message the other my other tool um that i i discovered um was this this one this one sucks um icy hot i put icy hot on my balls and um that that fucking hurt that really hurt and it hurt for a long time God dang. 
Yeah, and icy hot, I recall from like uh, being in track or sports or whatever, if you get some kind of an injury to uh, usually to a muscle or something like that, you can put it on there. And it yeah. immediately, we had something called Kramer. I think we called it Kramer. It was probably actually pronounced Kramer. It came in these big tubs. It was like this orangey kind of viscous stuff you'd slap on things. And But mm -hmm. um, I can't imagine how much that would hurt applying it as you did yeah it because you can't uh, just get it off can you no uh no it you, yeah sometimes I would greasy, try to, right yeah sometimes i try to wash it off and the and the, the water um makes it worse. To kind of just make it worse yep you're stuck um, once you go and put it yeah. on uh but i was gonna i was gonna learn that lesson i was gonna learn that lesson um so that's that's how I, that's how i would do it because i was gonna i was gonna beat these dirty thoughts because because if i look at a girl and i lust after her, i'm committing a sin a grievous sin and i gotta prepare to go on a mission i can't let my family down Can so i, I for just a second Adam, i kill this thing uh-huh only because you still Okay, you had that one incident where you did get caught by your dad with the printer and you did go to the bishop because you got caught and you said something to the bishop, probably as little as possible to make it sound as de minimis as possible. He gives you miracle of forgiveness. After that, you continue to wrestle and struggle with this on your own. But did you ever try and involve another adult in this, like the bishop or your folks or confessing it to anybody else? No. No, I, I kept it all. I kept it all to myself. And the reason, once again, is because of the shame inherent in confessing. Yes, exactly. Um, the shame inherent in confessing. And then also at the same time, just wishing that if I put enough time and distance away from it, if I could get that, if I could get that confirmation that I was forgiven, then if God didn't remember it, then I didn't have to remember it anymore. Because if God didn't remember it, then all of a sudden, everything that I did, everything, you know, it, it became justified through Jesus Christ and his atonement um, because of that atonement. So, like it would be gone. So I would give myself permission finally to let it go. Um, but so the praying continued. Um, the boy, I hated myself. I just, I just really, um, I just really wanted, I, you know, I never thought about how I would like, you know, kill myself or whatever. I, I never had suicidal ideations. But boy, I was cool if like, you know, all of a sudden I got T-boned on the highway or something like that and taken out because then I'd be like, sweet, now I don't have to worry about this anymore. The only reason why I worry about that was because I hadn't been forgiven. So I would be that broken link in my family chain. I would be that broken link. And that was unacceptable to me because I love my family more than anything in the world. Uh, so I just, I committed to figuring it out and to getting right with the Lord. Um, because 
I'm the only person who's got this problem. And, you know, uh, it, they would they would mention in like priesthood in, in priest quorum, you know, you would have talks about pornography and they'd be like, oh, you know, there's lots of people who are doing it. Um, and so we got to we got to address this and we got to we got to make it stop. Um, but no one in no one in the room would be like, yeah, I've seen it or whatever. So you, you have that assumption that no one else is. But it's you. It's just you. And so you. I just shut up in color and you and, and you go to the priesthood meetings and and they just kept talking about how how you need to be worthy for those young ladies. Um, so you'd be ready to take them to the temple and ready to have those uh, ready to have that eternal family be a link in the chain with your with your family all, through all eternity. And I was like, sweet, I, I really want that. But I can't even not. I can't even stop having dirty feelings and thoughts about young women. Like God's never going to trust me with one of his daughters. No way. And so I by kept. The way, by the uh, way, I'm so sorry to interrupt because you had mentioned wanting to get enough time under your belt without these bad thoughts or without access to pornography. And that's what's going to do it for you. Yeah. Before you get there, were there any other steps that you took in order to punish yourself for what you were doing? Oh yeah. So like, uh, so I mentioned the tacks in my shoes. Oh yeah. Then there was also uh, fast Sunday. The idea of that we're taught that if you restrict yourself food, you'll become more spiritually um, open to receiving revelation. You skip two meals, you pay a fast offering, you get closer to God. And so my scrupulous mind was like, man, if I skip lots of meals, then I can get even closer to God. And so fast Sundays became a real big thing. Um, so I would I would fast on fast Sunday and then I would fast on other Sundays and I started to develop uh, I think this is at the time where I developed my my first eating disorder, but I wouldn't have classified it as that at the time. Um, but I, I I realized that I could I could use food and control of food as methodology for punishing myself, which will come up at a later date. Right. Can I, can I jump in for just a minute? Uh huh. Please. Um, I hope I can word this right. <clears throat> Mormonism is constantly telling us there's a lot of things to do. And there's so many things to do, you simply can't do them all. One. Two is that Mormonism tells you at every turn that if you don't do all the things, something's wrong with you, and you should be able to do all the things. And if you had the Holy Ghost, and if you were worthy, and if you repent, and if you do this, and if you do that, then you'll be clean and you'll be on the right track. And I remember I, I didn't have scrupulosity, like most people don't, right? And so when I heard all these things, and I again, I joined the church as an older teenager, really almost a young adult, and I was sort of aware that these were older guys, and I took it seriously, but I also didn't take parts of it seriously. Like I recognized like, ah, eh, you know, I look at porn once every three weeks or something. Like, all right, I'm not going to go tell anybody. Who cares? Um. 
there's this idea in Mormonism that, you know, when you believe it, you really think everyone else is nailing it. You think you're the only person who's effed up and failing. <clears throat> there's so much to do and it all feels like you're falling short because it's all pretend, right? It's all make-believe and these guys make up all this stuff that has to be part of the plan. And, and then you take on top of it, a, a young man who's got scrupulosity and you end up, I don't know, you just, you basically create a giant maze with no, no finish and somebody just beating themselves up, trying to figure out where the magic door is that solves the puzzle. And you can't. And yeah, I think these church leaders have got to recognize, certainly have to, that this isn't working and uh, it hurts bad enough for those of us who don't buy it completely. Like I, I just knew that every one of them was touching themselves. I, I grew up as a non-member, so I knew that masturbation was normal. I knew that, you know, every guy essentially was doing it and most women were. And I just knew that if they said, don't do it, I just knew it was nonsense. But when you grow up in the lens that that isn't nonsense, I just can't imagine the damage that gets done to people. And when you make up a plan that is illogical and runs into dead ends at every turn. Yeah. 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 And, and, and uh, it, the, the maze analogy is perfect analogy because really there is no exit. Well, there, there's one exit. Yeah. There's one exit and that's, it's checking out. It's, yeah. Uh, but even that exit comes with penalties, right? Even you realize yes, exactly. It, it gets you off the maze, but you don't end up anywhere better. Yeah, and and which leads me back to that the idea that I had as a teenager is like it would be really sweet if I just had a chronic heart attack in the middle of the night or got plowed over on the highway, and then it wasn't my fault. I didn't commit the sin of suicide, but then I'm not having to deal with you know deal with this load that I'm carrying this whole time. Uh, so 16 to 18, I, I, I do pretty good. Um, I do pretty good. Um, I, you know, I, uh, I'm, I'm going to church and doing all the, doing all the right things. And I get close to going on the mission. And, uh, I think, I think I, by the time I had started, ah, yes. Uh, so this is a picture of, uh, me and my cousins right before uh, I went to BYU, Idaho. So this is, uh, me as a 19 slash 20 year old. Um, so I go to put in my mission papers, uh, 18. Uh, I get my mission call to Quetzaltenango, Guatemala. And I'm super excited. Everyone's super excited. I had been like, you know, seven or eight months sober from uh, um, like looking at pornography. And so I was feeling pretty good feeling pretty good about it. Um, I hadn't had that experience yet that I was waiting for, for that forgiveness. Uh, but I thought, you know, the mission, the mission will do it. The mission will do it because I'll be a hundred percent dedicated to the Lord all the time. There won't be any time to be messing around. Won't be any access to any computers. You know, it's just, it's going to be perfect. This will, this will dry me out for sure. And I'm like, yes, all right, let's do this. And I'm going to have that confirmation because as the brethren were always teaching, you know, uh, it's kind of like fill the dreams. If you bury your testimony, you'll get a testimony. You know, 
the the act of receiving a testimony is given through bearing a testimony. So like, if you build it, they will come. So I'm like, ah, if I go on a mission and testify that the church is true, then God will confirm to me that the church is true. So I got no problem making that sales pitch. So I'm going to go out on my mission. I'm going to do this. I get my mission call. By the way, Adam, I'm not going to tell you the story now, but I'll let you know that there was a story regarding a certain playboy that made its way around the Mission District apartment in Mikunigaoka, Japan, in the summer of 1981. Oh my God. I didn't pay any attention to it myself. Of <laughs> so I would have no way of knowing that Valerie Perrine was the centerfold in that area. <laughs> <laughs> oh man see people are going to people people are going to people mm -hmm. um and so you know i i go to the mtc and i'm feeling pretty good feeling pretty good show up that first day uh this is back in the day when your family you, you went to go watch the movie about the drop off and then you know everybody was bawling your family's crying you're like oh man i'm becoming a man you know, I'm going on my mission. So <laughs> yes. They, Where were you raised, by the way? Am I detecting an accent coming through? Uh, so I was raised all over the country. but um, In the Texas, South anytime? Yeah, so I was born in Texas, uh, lived in Texas a couple times, uh, stationed in Texas a couple times. So, well, yeah, whenever I get identified real, the accent now. Yeah, when I get excited, my Texan comes out. <laughs> uh, so I go out on the mission. I'm super stoked. Uh first day see my family off i'm like all right this is going to be the experience this is going to be the experience and surrounded by cool blokes and then i go to uh we're told that at like seven or eight o'clock we're going to have interviews with the mission president and i'm like all right here we go gonna interview with the mission president and then off with a bang and the mission president you know he everybody's lined up he calls you in to sit down in the room with him one-on-one -on -one. i'm like ah oh, this is gonna be a normal interview i sit down with him first question he asks is uh do you or have you ever masturbated and i wasn't gonna tell him yes i was eight eight nine months <laughs> i was like Maybe, maybe God has forgiven me. So I'm going to tell the man no. And so I say, I say no. You know, I'm like, I, no, no, I never had a, I never had a problem with that. Uh, and he's like, all right, all right. Well, you know, welcome to the MTC, blah, blah. And I am dying, RFM. I am dying. Um, I feel so stinking guilty. So stinking guilty. Um, over the next three weeks, because I'm only in the MTC for three weeks before I get sent home early. Over the next three weeks, I end up losing about 30 pounds. Mm, 30 pounds um, in three weeks? Yeah. Uh, super stressed out, anxiety. Um, wasn't eating anything. I just felt awful. And my stomach was killing me. Um, so kind of psychosomatic uh, symptoms. I call it psychosomatic now, but at the time I really thought my stomach had some serious issues going on with it. Um, and so, uh, you know, they, they medically released me from my mission. And I remember flying home from the MTC and I was like, Frick, 
how am I gonna how am I gonna recover from this? You know, so but then I was like, I know what I'll do. I'll double down. I'll go to BYU Idaho and I will study this gospel and I will get it good. And I will understand it better than my peers, because if I understand it better, then I will unlock that ability to get forgiven. And so, so I go home and I'm working uh, for a semester. I get accepted to BYU-Idaho. I go out there and I've been clean from pornography and masturbation for uh, since before I left for my mission. I was like, sweet, this is, this is, a, good, this is a good deal. Um, you know, I'm, I've got enough time and distance. So I, I enroll myself in the pre-seminary program, which is to become a full-time seminary or institute teacher. You're going to uh, become a seminary instructor. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so I'm, I'm super committed like, because so roll back a little bit over my entire youth. I kept thinking if I could get, cause you remember the story about the flagellants and stuff like that. I was obsessed with Roman Catholic priests because there were, again, I didn't know anything about the child abuse here. Here's all I saw was these men who were dedicated to living God's way, to living God's way. And I was like, man, LDS church, the true church doesn't have paid clergy, but they got seminary and institute teachers. So how can I focus my life to God without being a missionary because I can't be a missionary because I masturbated, but I could probably be a seminary teacher. So I get into the pre-seminary program. I'm studying to be a seminary teacher. I take, uh, I take Hebrew and I take Latin. Um, I read the old Testament. I read the Torah and the Talmud in Hebrew, um, read the new Testament in Latin as part of, as part of the course, getting super excited. Um, College is going well. Uh, then, then my sophomore year, college comes in. And you know how at BYU-Idaho, you have to live in approved housing. And you get six dudes in each apartment, uh, six females in their own apartment, but it's all cordoned off by apartment buildings. So you're not in the same buildings or anything at BYU-Idaho. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm, in, I'm assigned to my roommates. And I'm like, all right, sweet. Freshman year, had awesome roommates. Everything's good. Sophomore year, I get this new roommate, um, and he's in my room with me. And one night, I just roll over, and he's on his computer at like 2 in the morning looking at porn. And your boy, like, I just fell right off that horse. Um, I just fell right off that horse because uh, I saw it on his screen, and I couldn't get that image out of my mind. I was fixated on it uh, because it's like, you know, that psychological principle. If you got kids and you tell your kids you can't play Xbox, you know, what are they going to do? They're going to want to play Xbox all the time. And if they go over to a friend's house who has Xbox, you can't pull them off of it. They turn into little heathens. It's like same thing if you restrict sugar or candy um, from children. Same thing for me. I had gone so long without pornography that when I saw that picture, I completely fell off the horse. I couldn't get that image out of my mind. Couldn't get that image out of my mind. Adam, so that you know, we're going to try and wrap up your story in the next oh, yeah. 20 minutes. Just mm -hmm. 625 now, my time. 
725 for Utah time. And we'll see if we can wrap this up and allow time for some people to call in as well. Oh, yeah, sure. So I'll give you the speed version. So okay. um, end up getting kicked out of the seminary, uh, the pre-seminary program because huh, your boy is single and single men can't be trusted in the church with positions of serious leadership or uh, stewardship over the youth. Um, so I'm trying to be a seminary teacher. By the time it becomes time for me to get a uh, a class assigned for um, my internship, uh, they have to remove me from the program because I'm not married and I can't teach in a seminary. So I'm just a history major. And that and, had not come to anybody's attention before you graduated? No. That that would be a problem? I think they just assumed that everybody knew you had to be married. Um, you were, were already some, assigned, weren't you? Uh, so, yeah. So, well, they were, that's when, uh, that's when I got uh, ID'd is when they were making the assignments. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so, you know, I had a history degree. Um, I graduate. Uh, and then I decided to go back out on my mission. Uh, now, this is remarkable, too, because this is some time after your yes. first attempt. So I'm 24 when I go back out on my mission. Um, because, you know, glutton for punishment. So I put in an application to go back out. Uh, Spanish speaking to San Francisco. Super excited. Right. Um, this time. And what you know, year was this, Adam? Uh, this was 2008. And what was going on in San Francisco in 2008? Proposition 8. Proposition yeah. 8. Um, there was a lot of inspiration in that call. Yes. Oh, so much. And, and so I go out there, um, and I'm only out there for like two or three months. Um, I go out, and by the time December, the, the vote had already happened. And so there was a lot of retribution. Um, towards by the way, the Adam, thumbnail uh -huh. sketch, Prop 8, what's the retribution look like? And what's going on as far as your view on the ground there? Oh, yeah. So um, I got spit on a couple times, um, chased off with a bat uh, off of a bus. Um, people, uh, you know, sometimes they say San Francisco is the most closed-minded, open-minded place in the country. Um, I, don't, I don't blame them for their reaction at the time uh, because, you know, I didn't think I was doing something that was uh, bad. Uh, I thought I was I was I thought I was doing the Lord's work. Now I understand that uh, you know what the church was doing, what they were spending the tithing money on, was completely antithetical to the teachings of Christ because Christ has never mentioned homosexuality once. You know, it's just been the old tired men with beards who have, um, but, uh, so I end up, uh, going out on my mission and in December, uh, they're reorganizing the California missions and my mission president calls me into his office, um, says, you know, I'm, I'm almost, I'm 24 at the time. Mission president says, Hey, um, you know, they're closing down the mission and, uh, you know, I feel impressed, um, that, you know, I, I don't have an idea of which mission to send you. Uh, so, you know, I feel impressed to tell you that uh, the Lord wants you to go home 
and complete uh, your last semester at BYU Idaho. Get out, date, get married, have a family. You're at the right age. And so it's like, all right. And so that's a picture of me from my second mission there as a 24 year old. Uh, so I go home, I go back to BYU, Idaho. I finished my history degree. Uh, the next year, uh, is, this is right around, um, 2009, 2010, when the economy tanked, uh, the great recession kicked off, no one was hiring. Um, so I volunteered for, um, this national service organization down, uh, to a tech college associated with Weber state university. Um, and while I was down there, so I was making $600 a month living in a studio apartment right next to the Ogden temple. And while I'm there, I'm like, all right, I got to get right with the Lord. So I'm going to the temple two, three, four times a week, um, working at the temple, uh, getting all that done and just trying to, 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 to make amends for the terrible, awful life that I had lived um, as a youth. Uh, so I wouldn't be a break in the chain with my family. Um, eventually, it was like, uh, at this time, it was 2012. Um, I, I, I was looking for a change. I wasn't making any money. I was still single. And so I called my dad and I asked my dad, I was like, hey, I'm thinking about joining the military. Uh, my dad retired from the Navy. Um, and uh, he said, that's great. Whatever you do, don't join the Navy. I said, okay, sweet. Um, so I called my older brother and I said, hey, man, think about joining the military. And he's like, oh, that's great. Uh, my older brother's in the Army. And he's like, whatever you do, don't join the Army. And so I was like, well, shoot, I'm sure as heck not going to join the Marine Corps because, uh, you know, I'm not that big. So uh, I was like, I'm going to join the Air Force. So I joined the Air Force and um, best decision I ever made in my life. Because up until this point, the only people I ever really associated with were members of the church. Because you couldn't, I felt in my mind, based off of what I had been taught, because I took it seriously, that I couldn't trust non-members. Because non-members were led by the deceiver. Um, so I had never really been exposed to a whole lot of people who believed things different than me of my own choosing. I collated my own friends. Like I had associates at school, never hung out with non-members, never, because, you know, I was already ruined my own life. I wasn't going to let non-members, you know, ruin it even further for me. So when I joined the Air Force, all I was exposed to were people from a vastly diverse spectrum of belief and background, socioeconomic status. And it hit me um, probably about two years. It started to hit me even as soon as basic training. But I realized, wait a minute, these people aren't evil. Not only are they not evil, but they're motivated to do good. But what motivates them to do good if it's not the gospel of Jesus Christ as taught by the church of Jesus Christ? And so I, I asked them about their own belief processes and stuff. And I learned further that, you know, Muslims, 
that Catholics, that evangelical Christians all sincerely have faith in their convictions and convictions in their faith that lead them to believe that what they believe is true. And they can say things like, well, I know what I believe is true. If you go over to Saudi Arabia, everybody on the street over there is like, oh, yeah, Allah is great. Allah is wise. Allah is miserable. Or mis <laughs> not miserable. <laughs> Allah is wise. Trip. Yeah. Um, but, merciful. You know, <laughs> merciful. Yeah. Okay. Merciful. And so I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, wait a minute. These all, all these people think like me about my religion but they think the same thing about their their religion and they're sincere about it and so then i started thinking you know what if what if i don't have a monopoly on uh, on the truth and so now i'm in my late you know now i'm in my 30s and you know, I, I've met so many wonderful people, made so many, so many friends, um, and I'm, I'm starting to, I'm starting to lit up a little bit, but I'm still towing the line. Um, and and I start to, I start to think, okay, maybe, maybe I can accept nuance. Maybe I can accept that the Book of Mormon is literal, without having to know where it occurred. And I started introducing nuance into my life and it's slowly, slowly letting it creep in. And meanwhile, you know, I'm doing the things I'm supposed to be doing. I'm serving in the singles ward bishop, bishopric, later in a family ward bishopric as the executive secretary, because, you know, single people can't be counselors. You have to be an example of living the gospel and to live the gospel, you have to be married in the temple with children. So, you know, I'm only halfway live in that as a, as a single person. Uh, but by the way, Adam, was there stuff you were, you were learning in your history classes in college that was also informing your questions of the church and its narrative? Yes, exactly. Uh, so the stuff that I'm learning uh, back then in college, and then also in my self-study is, is realizing that um, even the church's doctrine and its view and its perspective of its own past has slowly and subtly changed. And I just accepted that change as being, oh, well, you know, new light, new rev revelation. We're slowly refining the good ship Zion. And that's that's how I interpreted it. And that's how as a that's how I kind of uh, encouraged apologetics on myself. Um, enforced apologetics on myself. So I allowed more space for these nuances. Like uh, when that church came out with the instant article with the seer stone, that was infuriating to me because I remember firmly believing as a child, walking all through the aisles of the churches and seeing pictures of Joseph Smith with the golden plates, looking down at them and the scribe on the other side of the veil, literally writing out what he's got. And then all of a sudden, and, and I remember telling people, telling people at school who were telling me, they were like, hey, that, that uh, you know, that Joe Smith, he used a stone and uh, a rock and a hat. You know, what kind of prophet is that? And I was like, you're a liar. He did not use a stone and a hat. 
Joseph Smith's a prophet of God. And God translated that word to him from the plates directly. And there's no mistakes in that book at all. And then I find out through studying for pre-seminary and through the, ch the church magazine, oh, yeah, there was a rock in a hat. Well, okay. Like, why did the narrative change? Why did the narrative change? I can't handle this as someone with scrupulosity. And then, you know, uh, so the Air Force is moving me around, uh, speed up my story a little bit more. I go, I get transferred to Maryland and then COVID happens and the shutdown and the brand new book series, The Saints comes out, or at least it was new to me. Mm -hmm. And I bought uh, the first book and the second book and I'm reading them. And the church made the largest strategic error I think they've ever made when teaching their own history because they put footnotes to the church essays on the websites. And I don't think they were expecting members to go look at those footnotes um, because if you follow the footnotes onto the essays, um, where they give you a little bit more story, a little bit more background about the seer stone, about the treasure digging. You know, I couldn't pick my jaw up off the floor because everything that they had told me, everything that I had learned through the correlated materials was different. And it was, it was my fault for not knowing the truth because the truth was always on those essays. You know, I just, apparently I didn't have the faith. So they're gaslighting me. They it sounds like up to a certain point you're accepting the gaslighting yes, oh, and even I going along with it to gaslight yourself, right? Oh yeah, I took, I took, the, I took the gas lamp off of the, the post and I put my mouth around that thing and I was <laughs> drinking all of the natural gas. I was <laughs> that because I was like, man, I'm firmly committed to this. I want my family to be together for eternity. So by God, this is the truth. Absolutely. 110%. And then to have the essays sit there and say, oh, you know, well, we may, we just don't know. Just don't know became the, the official euphemism for we made it up or that's not actually what happened. And so I'm sitting there and I'm like, well, okay. So all of a sudden, my shelf, my shelf broke. And I was like, uh, I had enough time. I didn't have a calling anymore. I was sitting at home. Adam, can I ask you something? Because uh -huh. you have moved to Maryland now, right? Yes. Uh huh. Do you remember the point at which you realized that it wasn't your fault and you're not the one? who had misinformed yourself about the method of translation. And actually you were the one being gaslighted by church leaders. Yes. Uh, so, um, uh, so when I first started uh, distancing myself from the church, uh, I, I'd listened to a podcast. The first one that I ever listened to was um, a group called mythical morning with Rhett and link their show called ear biscuits. Uh, where they deconstruct their evangelical faith, which gave me a mind that it was okay for me to look at things outside. And so the first 
uh, suggestion that Spotify gave me for when I typed in Mormon was Radio Free Mormon. And so I was like, all right, I'll listen to what this dude's got to say. And, 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 I, and I appreciate what RFM did because he put what the church says and the reality that they later had copped to or how it had changed side by side. Right at this time when I had left, it was right during general conference. And that's where RFM, not RFM, but um, Russell M. Nelson said that the, what happened in the Book of Mormon literally occurred. And that's where I realized that there was no room for me as a nuanced member to be in the church anymore. And I, and I resigned my membership almost to the day that RFM released the episode uh, called um, Shame Game. Because that's when I realized, uh, while at the same time I was working through with therapy, therapists uh, that were assigned from the Air Force, um, helping deal process with my sexual assault um, and everything that had happened in the past, um, all the shame and guilt that I had felt. And that's when I realized, you know, even if it is all true, you know, even if God does turn out to be Mormon Jesus Christ, like, I don't know if I want to live with that guy for eternity because what kind of God leads his, leads his children into like what Bill said, a maze with no exit or where the exits always shifting and changing. Can I just add to when you doing a search for radio Mormon and finding RFM, by the way, I think is the real reason there's a revelation that's to elder Nelson, president Nelson that says that, using the word Mormon is a victory for Satan. They are trying to disconnect from that word because if you put in church of Jesus Christ of, and then latter, of course, will catch Mormon stuff, but mm -hmm. you know, day and saints, um, those terms aren't going to be as effective. It really is the word Mormon. And so the church knows to get itself away from those search results. It has to make Mormon be a word that is just, just leaves a very bad taste in our mouth. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. 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 So true. So true. And, and, and here's where I'm at today. Uh, when people ask me if I have a church, I tell them that I belong to the church of, I don't know. And that's okay. Uh, it's okay to not know. Uh, because at the end of the day, it's a Pascalian wager, essentially. Um, I bank my money on living today and now and being great, grateful for what I have, the experiences I, that I've had, the good and the bad that helped me become the individual that I am today uh, for the time and for the family that I have and to focus on those experiences with them, to share my love with them. And I would rather focus on that and live a good life and a happy life today and die and find out that there's nothing afterwards, having lived my life to the fullest, than to live in a constant struggle to appease 
a God that won't even prove to us that he's real, at least not in a substantial way that, you know, can prove to two people on different sides of the world that, oh yeah, yeah, this is, this is the guy. Um, So, you know, if, if it matters, you know, and I show up and it is Mormon Jesus, then I'll be like, yeah, well, thanks for doing such a great job of making yourself known and how important it was to be a member to all 8.5 billion of us on the planet. You know, is, is, is that the kind of person I want to spend all eternity with? And ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, the further I get away from it, the more I realize uh, the perspective that I've come to the conclusion is that, you know, my faith has led me to uh, ultimately um, this conclusion where I, I, I have no idea what's next. Um, and, you know, I have to, I have to, I have to be okay with that. Um, I'm open to there, to there being something, but, you know, all the stuff that I did in the past, if that wasn't good enough, then what more is there to give? And I, I just, I, I, I don't understand. I, I don't understand the cost. Right. Adam, we're going to have uh, some phone calls, I trust, here shortly. But before we do that, I want to make sure that your story is completed, because I know that what you're saying resonates with a lot of people, a lot of people going through a similar thing, even now, or maybe have in the past, or know somebody else who is, and not sure how to help them. And the one thing I wanted to make sure that you mentioned was your connection finally you decided to start seeing a therapist yes uh thank you for reminding me of that so i started working with a therapist in 2016 because and this was because uh, your bishop recommended you see a therapist right no it's because your state president recommended you see a therapist right no no Uh, not at all um it was because a dear friend uh saw that I was struggling. Um, and she cared enough to say, Hey, um, maybe you should go talk to someone about this. And I said, Oh, well, you know, I've seen the Bishop about it. And she's like, no, maybe, maybe you should go see a therapist. Somebody other than the Bishop for a change after 25 years. Yeah. And it made all the difference in the world. And that's where my journey with therapy, began in the Air Force, everybody's experience with the military is different, of course. Um, But my unit was so supportive. Um, I had been on the night shift for like five years straight. Um, I had gone from 160 pounds to like 97 pounds. I developed a full on eating disorder um, because of the night shift and because of how obsessive I was at studying the the gospel and trying to understand. Oh, he got a picture of who you. Up I here. was. Oh, yeah. So that's me at not, about ninety-seven pounds. 
Oh my lord! Wow. Yeah. Damn. Um, and this is this is this is where my friend saw me, and and she Damn. she she loved me enough to say something. And you're going to church, or is this during church, or is this when church is closed down? Uh, so this is during church. And uh, this is nobody's church. making a similar comment to what your friend did about maybe you should see a professional. Uh, so they were making comments, but uh, they were they they told me I looked like I had lupus or that I was a cancer victim. Uh, one person said that I was on the the, the Holocaust diet. Um, uh, my yeah. It, so all of these are obviously not funny, even by my yeah. standards, and that's saying something. But yeah, nobody actually just says hey. Adam, maybe you should see a professional for some help. Yeah. No, no, not, not until, uh, not until I, I, I promised her I wouldn't say, uh, her name. I think she's watching tonight. Um, but seriously, she saved Thank my you. life. Yeah. Um, she really did. I mean, if you would go to picture 13 and for a little bit, um, oh, there's me as a temple worker in Alaska. Um, oh. yeah, there's me in Alaska again. Um, there's me and my parents, my parents, while well, they were on their mission. Um, this is me and my older brother, uh, at the Philadelphia temple, uh, when I was in my, in my thirties. Uh, yeah. Uh, Maven, if you don't mind going to picture 13, uh, oh yeah, there's me when I stopped wearing garments, I put that on the ex Mormon facebook and got a big kick out of that everybody's like oh nice nice legs <laughs> like, hey, thanks uh, for so, a second i was thinking should i be looking at this yeah <laughs> yeah that's, that's my dirty my dirty ungarment covered legs right there for i was 36 years old super excited about that and then it looks um, like there's something floating in the fire ah yes that's a hot dog yeah <laughs> okay you sinner richard oh yeah <laughs> Even now, your hot dog's in the fire. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll, let the, we'll let the listeners <laughs> draw their conclusions, especially the ones who are listening to the podcast and not seeing the picture. But you got um, your garments then, off. You took a picture to commemorate it. Yes, exactly. When was exactly. this? Uh, so this was uh, 20, 2021, the spring of 2021. Yeah. So you were uh, one of so, the, the sorry, uh, I don't know what picture the, thirteen is. Um oh, that uh, it's, <laughs> uh, it's uh labeled uh moving to Monterey. It's uh me in the blue vest. There we go. So that's me. Go. Okay. Um that's me when I moved uh back out here to my current assignment. Um and then uh the last picture is uh labeled on the other side. Um and this was just a couple weeks ago with my sister and her family. Um, back at a, at a, a healthy, at a healthy weight. Um, I guess the whole point of my whole story, RFM and Bill, and I really appreciate you having me on, uh, is that, you know, like th the thing that upsets me about the brethren is not that they have their own church and their own doctrine and their own gospel, because lots of religions have that, um, but the, the thing that I have a hard time with, especially with organized religion and especially ours, um, is, is that they don't know 
or maybe some of them do. I think maybe the quorum of the 12 and the, the first presidency do, but that people take them seriously, deadly seriously. And at some point, I just wish any one of those priesthood leaders, you know, would have just been like, hey, you don't need a spiritual solution. You need you need a real tangible solution in the here and now. You know, the best that we can offer you is like improvement in the next life. But when you're a kid who spent 25 years of your life can can convince that you're going to hell like yeah nothing that they could offer me uh nothing that they could offer me would have been a solution uh, you were so already that, in hell weren't you adam i was uh i was uh and covered in icy hot <laughs> oh my gosh well yeah. i tell you what um do maven Maven, um, I'm surprising you by just announcing you and asking, oh, you're there behind Joan Galloway. I see you. Now. Oh, no, that's Bill. That's, that's Bill behind Joan Galloway on the screen. I want to ask Maven on to see what she has to add in her thoughts. And then maybe we can go to phone calls. So I don't have a lot of thoughts, actually, to add. Um, other than just I, I had a friend that really struggled with this. Um, that I, you know, I, I watched, you know, have to go through some of these uh, compulsive thoughts and um, just regarding several different things. Um, and it is so, so much better on the other side, but can be really, really difficult for a person with scrupulosity to even get to this point of, of even thinking, imagining that the church might not be true. So it's quite the journey just to even be able to get out of the church. Um, and, and my friend is now out. It's something that I've been watching and, and hoping for for um, many years, you know. But um, but once I, I, it doesn't always go away necessarily, especially if there is because there is a you know a, a mental health component to it. Sometimes there's some you know brain, um, um, what is it? Um, you know what I mean, that the, the, the structure can still be there. And sometimes I think we've talked about this before. Um, sometimes if someone has a predisposition to certain conditions, the religion can really kick things into high gear or trigger it to start where maybe in a healthy environment, it might never have. So anyway, I just wanted to point that out, I guess, for people, it's not necessarily a cure for some people, it can be getting out of the church or getting out of whatever restrictive religion that you're in. Um, but sometimes there's still like, uh, you know, mental health care that that needs to be done. But I, the majority of people I know, who have come out of on this side, who have had extreme scrupulosity, are doing much better, um, even with sometimes there's that fear of, of hell or fear that I made a mistake. So anyway, that's all that I have. Yeah, I, I, appreciate, I appreciate that Maven is, is, is so true. Um, I don't know if I could ever trust myself to seriously uh, investigate investigate uh, going into another religion because I think I would probably need to prove that one as well. Um, so so for me, I, I just have to I just have to rest on my hope that if there is a God, he'll be compassionate enough to see the struggle that I've had and 
the effort that I've made to get to know them and hope that that's enough. Uh, hey, Adam, your I, friend in Alaska, is it named Amy, is she? <laughs> yeah. That, yep. Yeah. Yes. There she is. Oh my God. Amy, thank you so much. She, she really did save my life. Really For those of you who are life. listening and not able to see this, Amy with last name O-T-T-E. How do you pronounce that correctly, Adam? Uh, Adi. Adi. Yeah. Okay, I'm not even going to go there. But Amy Audi says, "Damn right, your friend from Alaska is watching right now." Yeah, you weren't you weren't doxing her RFM. She put herself up on the screen, so she put herself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Comments, so. She opened that door right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah, I, I totally agree, my way. hero. I agree. By the way, Adam, I I hold the position. I don't know what it is. Talking about whatever's out there in the universe, I don't know what it is, but I sure as hell know what it's not, and it sure as hell isn't Mormonism. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if we have some calls. We do have some questions from the chat. Um, to be honest, we, have... we, we had a couple of calls come in, Maven, and oh. they hung up. So we don't oh. have calls. So maybe a couple of questions bad. in the chat will be the way we could do it. Oh, that's all good. Um, so we have someone asking what position you came in the family, if you were the oldest or youngest. Um, uh, middle child. Uh, middle, middle child. child. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then we've got a lot of well-wishing. Um, also, I'll, I'll put them up here. Um, uh, there you. was someone who's wanting to know how your family has reacted to, um, your, you, you know, your resignation or, or coming out of it on this side. How's your family done with that? Uh, so I am, I am so fortunate and so lucky, uh, because they've all been incredibly supportive when I, when I told them, uh, a lot of. Uh, my my trauma and my background and what I've struggled with and then kind of talk to them about scrupulosity they um, they they they're very respectful um, and so I I've always tried to be uh, and, and share the road with them too because they're all uh, active and practicing um, so um, you know I've gone back a couple times to church um, with them. Uh, and I just, I, you know, I just kind of sit there quietly and I think about um, the journey that my life has taken me on. Uh, and, you know, it, it, if it works for someone, it works for them. Uh, what I have an issue with is uh, when they start projecting their authority to make decisions for people who don't accept those values and those morals or don't share those values and morals and then also when they change the the field goal because believe it or not you know i'm going to make a a declaration right now uh in 20 years i bet you gay marriage is going to be totally legal in the church and they're all going to be like yeah we've supported it forever yeah and like everybody's going to gaslight themselves and be gaslighted by the organization that you know this has always been God's will. God's will. It was just you know old stubborn men back in the 2020s who weren't with the weren't with the word of God. It was just the the, the doctrine of men and not the doctrine of God. But now we have the doctrine of God, God's true will and knowledge. So it, it will be our fault again, but at least they'll have made the progress in the future. When it, you know, ugh. it's always our fault. Yep. 
but at least, yeah, progr- I mean, like you say, at least progress gets made. Yeah. And I can't help uh, noticing the fact that it was no priesthood leader who directed you to therapy, which helped. It was a non-member, non-priesthood holding woman. Oh, so she she was actually a member uh, oh, at no. the time. Uh, but we're both uh, we're both doing our own things. Um, so uh, yeah, I think uh, I think if you pull that string of of doubt, um, you know, it will continue to unravel. And if we're honest with ourselves, um, we really can't uh, based off of I told you so's of multi generations of prophets make it's not right to make entire life decisions based off of oh well after you die you'll find out well then it does nobody any good and you know it's like it's like being sold a car that isn't on the lot and that they don't have to give you (laughs) like i don't know that's probably a flawed analogy but i can't think of anything better at the uh, at the time they don't have they don't have to prove anything and when you ask them to prove it they make you feel guilty for asking absolutely because you're a lazy learner by the oh, way yeah. i'm hearing reports that uh, there are calls and lines I, are jammed is this true uh, i've got uh i've got one call on somebody else just hung up again so but i do have a call here if you want to take it yeah, there was please. someone who said they're not hearing the audio of the show, which they're Yeah, sometimes they're that plays. So. Yeah, it sounds like he might have been in the queue, and for whatever reason, the it playing the show while they're on hold didn't work that time or something. But we do have one here. This is uh, – actually, I don't have a name. So, a caller, are you there? Ooh, give me one second. Oh. There we go. What's, what's, what, yeah, one second. What's the name? Uh, Peter. I didn't hear that. Sorry. Fader. Fader. Peter. Peter. Go ahead, my friend. Hello, Bill. Can you hear me? I can. Can you hear me? Excellent. Uh, one for you, Adam. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. One for you, Adam. With your uh, chain in command, uh, were they entirely supportive, obviously, with what you've been going through? Or, you know, just, just curious, I'm like you, I did 30 years, retired as a warrant officer, or E8, so to speak. Uh, so it's interesting to hear your spin, because what you went through, it's just something that uh, we never see down here in Australia, especially in the Australian Army. Um, that's all I have. Back over to you, Okay, thank you, Peter. I think is this. I think that was Peter Higgs who is active in our chat, um, because I believe that Peter is also from Australia. So I'm assuming it's the same person. Thanks for calling in. That's cool. We get calls from all over the country, don't we? All over the all over the world. The Australian Army is that the one where they wear the, the hats with one brim down and one brim up on the side. Uh, yeah, but that's, I think that's only for their female officers. Really? <laughs> yeah. I, okay. I'm not, I'm not certain. I've only, I've only seen a few Australian service members of one of my, uh, one of my duty stations in the past, but uh, it's always good to see uh, a, a warrant in here. Yes. The, 
this is not oh this has not always been the way that the united states military is but it's moving in this direction um and it's a very welcome uh very welcome move that the number one focus is on making sure that service members are fit for the fight um and so uh, at least in the chain of command that I had, uh, where I was in Alaska at the time, 110% supportive all the way. And uh, if anything could be called a blessing, it was uh, that I had the leadership change uh, chain that I did. Well, good. By the way, there was something very important that Peter Higgs had put up and was on the screen until a second ago. If we can get that comment back up. Thank you, Peter. <laughs> it's always an important comment when it says I'm right. He says, no, it is not. It's for all ranks. And I assume he's talking about the hat and the brim up and the brim down. You see, this is what yep, you get for watching Doc Tari every Saturday on reruns as a kid. And you get I'm to gonna... know the the Australian guys and the, the different kind of hats they wear. I'm going to have to go to a joint service uh, professional military education course. TDY down to Australia? Yes, please. I thought they also did this funny marching thing where they only move one arm and the other one remains stationary. Like their left one remains stationary and they pump their right arm. You know, that's how we marched around and pretended we were with the Australian army. <laughs> uh, very well could be. <laughs> I'm just to... glad they're on the same team with us. Absolutely. Yeah. One more call if you guys want it. Please. All right, so this this is Walt. Walt, you're going to be our final caller for the night. Go ahead, uh, my friend. Hi, thanks everyone. Good to good to uh, listen to your story tonight. I really appreciated hearing it, Adam. Um, I'm just uh, curious, maybe kind of two combined questions. Uh, what, Adam, do you feel was the the thing that you know a therapist uh, kind of identified as the what differentiated scrupulosity? from just the, the normal grind of feeling like you have to be a good Mormon. And as a follow-up, what helpful tools have you found in uh, kind of combating that in through therapy and other practices in your current life? Uh, well, thank you for the question, uh, for both questions. Uh, the first answer is uh, what raised the flag for my therapist on scrupulosity uh, was after I described my sexual assault and talking about um, how I had started to physically um, uh, hurt myself as a form of recompense for spiritual transgression. And then also um, spending four, five, six, seven hours uh, a night praying um, after I had... Um, done one of uh, gone through a session where I had looked at pornography or something like that. Um, I would literally spend six hours um, begging, begging for forgiveness, uh, just to hear just to hear God's voice. Um, what tears, all, what pillow, uh, all that um, it, uh, it inhibited my ability to, to, to live my life and to, to, to function. The second question, um, oh, I forgot, I forgot what the second question was. He's still <laughs> there. We can, yeah. What's the second oh, question? Um, 
Yeah, thanks. Uh, um, the second question is, uh, you know, what um, helpful practices you have seen, or what what practices you have seen helpful in your current, you know, more uh, hopefully doing better on the scrupulosity side. Uh, excellent. Thank you for reminding excellent. me of the question. Um, journaling, journaling. I kid you not. Journaling, so helpful. I have years full of journals back here on my bookshelf. And going back and reading journal entries, um, going back and reading through, uh, and all I would do is I would write uh, what I what I didn't like during that day, what I struggled with, what I did to overcome that, uh, what I did like about that day. Um, my journal entries uh, initially started out very very robotic, you know, and the list of dislikes were mostly about myself. Um, the list of likes were like Pop-Tarts taste good, chocolate milk is awesome, you know, the Goonies, best movie ever. Um, and <laughs> Sorry, RFM. And uh, <laughs> to developing, to being, uh, describing what I was struggling with that day and how I overcame it. So if I was in a rut where I like, say I have a day, like today or another day in the future where I think, man, you know, I've broken that link in the chain. I can look back to my journal entries of how I've processed that before and externalizing that, um, those thoughts, externalizing those beliefs helps you to see them from a perspective, a third person perspective outside of yourself. And if you can get outside of yourself um, to understand your current problem, your current situation, um, it helps you contextualize and then also uh, look for a resource for how you can deal with it again. Because you do stumble. You do stumble over and over and over again. Um, but each time it becomes a little bit easier uh, to dust your knees off and keep moving forward. Yeah, I, I just wanted to add to that. This is something that we can do as well. It's not something I was specifically taught to do with my friend, but I guess ended up kind of sort of learning about it. Um, so when we would have conversations, um, I, I started to, you know, as we became better friends, I started to clue in to when um, they were dealing with the scrupulosity because they would say something they were worried about just like anyone would in a normal conversation, but it would kind of cycle back and, and keep coming back to that. So sometimes it maybe took me a couple of times for me to realize what was happening. Um, but instead of just being like, oh no, you're fine. Don't worry about that. Um, I did start asking, so what does that mean? And then what, and then what, you know, because the more, when it is inside your head, you can get to be pretty ridiculous and, but really believe it. And, um, and so, yeah, my friend said that this was something that helped them that saying it out loud, uh, just, just to give an example, one was they were writing a paper, um, for, you know, for a college essay. And of course in school, it's extremely important to cite things correctly. Otherwise it's plagiarism and so, um, and dishonesty, right. And so this is what they were because of some confusion or some worry over the, um, the correct citation format it was something that kind of triggered the, their honesty, like scrupulosity. And so, um, yeah, so it just, we just kind of talked it out, you know? So what mm -hmm. happens 
you do it wrong, well, then I've plagiarized and I've stolen this person's work and I've, you know, I, and I'm claiming it as my own. And I'm and then I get kicked out of school for plagiarism and I can't get into any other school because it looks so bad. plagiarism, And, and then I can't get this career and my, you know, like my whole life is over. But but when you really you say it out loud and you realize like, you know, citations are something that not everybody else gets perfectly either, especially when there's different styles out there. You know, there's reasons why there's entire books about it. So you can look up exactly what needs to be underlined and exactly where a period goes versus a colon or a semicolon, you know. So, mm -hmm. you know, but that was something that did help them as well, because then I, I don't know, we we would go all the way through this part where like your life is over, it's ruined. You might as well, you know, just give up now and then just kind of like relax and be like, that's silly. Yeah. If, you know, if I try, if I legitimately try and they can see that I'm trying to cite this correctly, uh, even if I make a mistake, it's unlikely that the school will kick me out for it. And so that was something that helped. So, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I don't know how many times it was like Lucy Goose and the sky is falling for everything. All the small things, you know, I said a bad word. I'm going to hell, you know you jump straight to the worst case scenario every time every time and externalizing it with a trusted friend like maven uh in, in your scenario absolutely key because if you can hear yourself say it then you can be like wait a minute has that ever happened in the past nah it's probably not going to happen for me in this circumstance either very good. Very good. Hey, Bill, do you have anything else you want to add? I know you've been doing a lot of work there behind the scenes with comments and everything. No, I, I Maven was doing that. Maven was here the whole show and she was taking care of the slideshow. My the version wasn't doing? needed and she was putting the comments up. <laughs> what have you been um, doing there? He's been all commenting. I did, <laughs> all I did was find an image that I threw up there towards the end with uh, the things that you have to kind of unravel inside uh, once you're deconstructing religion. But otherwise, I'm all good. I I, I want to just say you sound like a great guy and you take the religious pressure to be something that's impossible out of it. And I, man, this probably would have been half as, you know, it still would have been difficult because you did have scrupulosity, um, but it would have been probably half the battle it was. And so I, I just want to say, I really appreciate your vulnerability. You shared a lot of things tonight that I think are awkward to share, but it tells the story of how all this works. Yeah. I appreciate you. Thank you, Bill. Yeah. And I'm going to throw a lot idea. of comments. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. I was saying a lot of comments are really appreciating, especially some of the really difficult things you explained yeah. beforehand. Um, really appreciating your vulnerability and your willingness to talk about this because you're not the only one. Um, this really helps people who are not at this point yet. So, um, and for, you know, people like me that, that didn't put tax in our shoes. It's it's helpful to see this experience and learn from it. So totally. um, yeah, so on behalf of everyone in the chat, I just also want to thank you for your courage to do that. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Appreciate Adam, thanks it. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for being brave enough. And I hope this was as therapeutic and as cathartic as you were hoping it would be. Absolutely. Absolutely. A uh, very good experience. Thank you for taking the chance and Lynn, a random old salty tech sergeant, uh, jump on your channel and tell his life story. <laughs> and, and just in honor, if you're ready to go, RFM, I've got a little thing here. We'll just I want to say it's thank it's you for your service, great. Adam, but then then turn it over to you for the last word, Bill. Yeah, yeah go Thanks ahead. Thanks for your support. Yeah. 
Uh, I'll just note, um, this is an oldie but a goodie, but in honor of the things that are normal that Mormonism makes awkward. Mormonism live. Better than touching your own little factory. 